0: just be me.
2: Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor-Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
1: You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life.
3: Trans lesbian centaur porn is my new kink. Oh my god, not this one that's pregnant. I want to set
4: the scene for all of you virgins listening at home right now. Fran and I are in a wintry wonderland. We are both wearing huge fur coats. Huge. And... Just off in the distance is a fawn. Um, a shirtless looks, fawn. A shirtless twink fawn.
3: Well, I um, would say
4: otter. Otter type, Otter, right, Harry? Yeah. Well, um, goat. Go. <laughs> <Seder>. <laughs> um off, off in the distance is a fawn. And then also off in another distance is a talking beaver. Hmm. Oh, wait. Now they're getting closer together. Wait. Oh now the beaver is sucking the fawn. No. <laughs>
3: Is live fanfiction you're writing? I was. This was against my consent. I did not know this is where you were going.
4: Well, where I'm going is to the magical land of Narnia I'm because never heard of it. because today we are talking all about the Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, the Twink, the Otter, the twonk, the Daddy, the Bear, the Fisting Top, the Fisting Bottom, not- the Piss, the Piss Queen. The pillow princess Shut and up. the wardrobe uh, because this is like a virgin, the show we give yesterday's pop culture, today's takes. I'm Res Damiu, And I'm Fran
3: Torrado. God, how did we get here?
4: Happy Thanksgiving, virgins. We hope that you are surrounded by your family, whether they be biological or chosen.
3: Yes, we hope Uh, that you are celebrating anti-imperialism and that you understand that this is a wretched little holiday that has great food, but otherwise is uh, founded in a, a history of, you know... Colonialist violence. Um, You know what I am
4: disappointed in though is that like this year I'm going to my family in Connecticut and I just go out for the day, but everyone else there, you know, kind of stays throughout the weekend because they live there. I don't usually get sent home with leftovers, and to me, that is one of the best parts of Thanksgiving is eating the leftovers for a couple days and, you know, doing like a sandwich with turkey and stuffing and cranberry sauce on it. So Mm. I'm like, where can I get one of those because i'm I'm not I will not be fulfilled with just having it one day.
3: No, my favorite tradition is to make like a giant sandwich like the next day with like normal sandwich bread, but like you know roasted turkey, cranberry sauce, cheddar cheese, like all of the things that like you want to put on a Thanksgiving meal. so good. Wait, speaking of um leftovers. <laughs> How, did you by chance see Triangle of Sadness? I don't think you saw it, right? I
4: still have not seen it.
3: I, at this point, probably won't see it in theaters, but we'll catch it right. you know, on digital at some point. Okay, I don't want to talk about it, but I just want to quickly, like, just, you know, assign you homework, and maybe The Virgin's homework to, to watch it when you can, because when I saw the trailer, I was like, that seems kind of like too on the nose. I, the trailer makes it feel really cheap, right? It's like... This is the movie that eviscerated the upper class. An amazing critique on capitalism. And I was like, I don't really want to watch that. And then I actually went to go see it. And it's like one of the most amazing things I've seen on screen in a very long time. Oh, oh yeah! I'm glad
4: to hear that it was good.
3: It needed an editor. Let's be clear. Sure. It is,
4: most things, all things do. It
3: is insufferable. We long. do. But, but it God is. Thank for BB. It was so, and Rose, I'm not going to spoil anything. There's just something that happens in the midpoint that is so shocking and something that you never forget. Like, it's just, an it's something that happens in a movie where you're like, I will never forget this. Um, Anyways, that's all I'll say so that we can actually discuss it, you know, whenever we end up watching it. Um, What have you been watching this this past week?
4: Um, You know, I'm neck deep in my annual Gilmore Girls rewatch. You know, (laughs) I have been in the middle of moving, so... I really don't kind of have any patience for anything more than that. It's just been a lot of Gilmore Girls on in the background while I unpack boxes. Ash is Um, watching
3: too. Maybe I'll need to hop on and and, start for the first time. You should finally get into it. Yeah.
4: But I did go to the movies last week and saw uh, Wakanda Forever.
3: Mm, Um, So did I.
4: And I had so much fun at it. I think the impression that I was left with most was that, oh, my God, everyone in that movie is really hot.
3: So fine. Fine, 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 fine.
4: Namor is the mother
1: I've had. <laughs> He's I, the
3: dick I, everyone should suck, <laughs> the ass everyone should eat. I literally, like, it doesn't matter how many memes I saw about him before seeing this movie. Nothing. Nothing. Could have prepared me for what I felt in my body when Namor ascended from the sea. His his with those little with those his winged, little wings. On yes, the his winged little mercurial Hermes wing ass feet. Fucking gay ass mermaid god. Fucking his little speedo and his like indigenous Mayan ass ancestry and his accent and his thick little body. Oh my god! I was alone in the theater, clutching my face, and physically breathless. That's not an exaggeration. I was physically out of breath. What are the things that stuck out from you from the movie? Like, fave parts or things you didn't like, maybe, or...
4: I really liked Riri Williams. I thought she was a welcome addition. So good. I, I thought it made sense to bring her in because with Chadwick Boseman gone to the movie, you know, Letitia Wright had to step into the lead role and couldn't be, like the, like, smart, wisecracking sidekick anymore. And Riri definitely filled that position while also being a very compelling character with her own story. And she has, she has a TV series coming, mm. so we'll get to see more of her. And I really liked the dynamic between her and Shuri, which was, like, they definitely were into each other. There was a vibe. <laughs> Angela Bassett... Really chewed every scene she was in. You know, that one scene where she is yelling at Okoye, you know, about how she's lost everyone in her life was devastating. And, you know, she gave an incredible performance. And I thought Letitia Wright did, too. I thought, you know, this movie had this tremendous weight placed on it of having to not only honor Chadwick Boseman's legacy, but like deal with it in a way that was narratively fulfilling. And so much of that was, put on the shoulders of those two actresses specifically. And I thought they really, you know, rose to the occasion.
3: I mean, I agree. I I thought that, like, given the circumstances, like, everyone in the film really carried the responsibility of something that is kind of impossible to do from a media perspective, which is translate real-life grief to franchise grief. Like, that sucks. I feel bad for everyone involved. Like, they had to literally, like three months later, like hop into this and like play grief on screen. And like, part of me, like, I do love the, the, that this film was about grief and I felt like it was a resonant meditation on grief, but I also do wish that they could have just waited and, and given it some space so that like everyone involved could have like, I don't know, had more time with it because like, I thought the burial scene was gorgeous I did not need to see Chadwick Boseman's grave ascend into like a spaceship. Like that at the end, I was like, I feel crazy watching that because it's so emotionally dissonant from what myself and probably every actor there is feeling.
4: One of the things I really liked was the way that they brought Michael B. Jordan back as Killmonger Mm. because he was such a great villain in Black Panther that just watching that made me remember what an enigmatic and like c- compelling presence he was in that movie but also it it worked really well for the story they were trying to tell that shuri was like channeling her grief through anger and so of course that is the person that she would see in that moment um so i thought that was just like one of one of those instances where you know the constraints of the movie they had to make really worked with the movie that they also wanted to make.
3: Hmm, and a place where maybe that was not so successful was the the reintroduction of Lupita Nyong'o because, like, I mean, I she was I was so happy to have her back, but it's like so funny that it's just like, oh, Lupita, where have you been in Haiti? And it's like, you, like we all know that she like didn't do the Avengers movie because she wanted to be in an off Broadway play and like hates this Avengers shit. And like, Lupita, who's like one of the greatest actors of like our generation, like she's phoning it in like she does not like, give a shit about this movie she's
4: i don't know but i still think she's you don't really see that in her performance like I feel she like i, I saw think she's very that. committed maybe i'm
3: projecting i felt like i her think heart you wasn't i think it.
4: you're projecting what you what you see in the real yeah, world maybe and because i thought she was really dialed in like that that scene that she has with Okoye where she's talking about why she wasn't at the funeral like I mean she's an incredible actress and she has to do so little to convey so much
3: yeah that's true and 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 she and she can do a lot with a little as can like a lot of prestige actors in like these franchises um it is kind of wild though that spoiler alert like in the post credit scene like she's like yeah and Chadwick knocked me up and left me on this <laughs> island and like here's my son I was like what the fuck like another young well, that also
4: reminded me just how long it's yeah. been since the first Black Panther Damn. came out in 2018, and I I don't know when Wakanda Forever was originally supposed to be rolled out, like because Wakanda Forever is the official end of Phase Four. Oh. Like this is now the end of sort of the post End Game Fallout, I didn't know that. and now yeah, now we're in Phase Five, as you can see with them laying things in the ground, like the Julia Louis Dreyfus character, who that might have been my only, like, real complaint with this movie is I just, every part with her and Martin Freeman, as much as I like Martin Freeman, and as much as I love Love. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, really took me out of the movie, and, like, I mean, she's, she's so funny, but she felt so out of place, and even, like, the streak of gray in her hair, which I'm sure is like what she looks like in the comic books and is some sort of like nod to that stylistically. It just looked it out doesn't of place work in this her. world. It doesn't
3: work with her. No.
4: Also, this movie was very badly lit and was so dark, especially the underwater scenes. Yeah. Like, so dark. I just like, maybe they're going for some kind of realism, but this is a comic book movie, babe. Turn the lights. <laughs> yeah. On.
3: Realism, honey, like, uh, I These are mermaids. <laughs> um, you know what I mean?
4: These, these
5: are
3: mermaids. Are mermaids. Let, let it be said. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, like, I'm never unhappy to watch Julia Louis-Dreyfus on screen. But yeah, when Marvel is marveling, like, just for the sake of, like, breading all of these movies together, it, I, it's like, those are things that we would cut out of if this was not a Marvel movie, if it was any other movie. Like, these would be chop, chop, chop. I just wanted her to say, it's me, Valentina. <laughs> oh! Um, wait, I have, a, I have a, a, another spoilery question for you. Uh huh. Spoiler, spoiler. Did Angela Bassett have to die? I, I do think so.
4: You do! I, I do think she had to die. What I didn't like was that her death was given kind of the same weight as Namor's, like, random yeah, minion like, being killed. Yeah! And it's like, I think there, it was his, these wi- two it was are his not wife or his
3: sister or something. It was, it was one of his relatives. But, like, he's a fish, so he has, like, 700 sisters. You know what I mean? Like <laughs>
4: Oh, okay. This is, like only kind of tangentially related to Black Panther, but uh-huh. I did come up with a sort of wild conspiracy theory. So okay. So I saw this movie with friend of the podcast, Ty Mitchell, and we were talking about how a year or two ago, there was so much conversation about Letitia Wright being an anti-vaxxer and it was so loud but it really kind of disappeared especially in the lead up to this film I feel like I did not see a lot of big stories about it no. I know that very recently she has kind of come out and like disavowed it and also disavowed a priest she was connected with who has a lot oh. of like homophobic and transphobic views anyway I'm just was so shocked that there wasn't a bigger like fur around especially the anti-vaxer of it all and I was also thinking about how that wasn't really a big part of the conversation when Death on the Nile came out at the beginning of this year, um, mm. which she was also in. And then I started thinking, you know, Disney is really evil. And they <laughs> knew that Shuri, you know, was going to be the lead in this movie and that they had to, you know, sort of protect their investment. And my conspiracy is that Disney is behind <laughs> the outing of Army Hammer as a cannibal. Oh. as a way to draw fire from Letitia during the (gasps) Death on the Nile press tour to sort of set the stage For for her to be able to get through that without any, like, journalists asking her questions during interviews because all the heat was on ARMY so that by the time Black Panther came out, we had already kind of moved on from it. That's my, like, galaxy brain, but also brain worms conspiracy theory.
3: The versions can't see it, but my jaw is dropped. Um, you need to put that on TikTok immediately. I, I mean, support mean, this crazy. There's
4: it's very it's very like there's no actual real logic involved in it. <laughs> um, but at least what I think is some publicist at least brought it up as an option at some point.
3: Oh, for sure. I mean, the devil works hard, but Marvel PR works harder. Well, well Disney honey.
4: PR, because that's what all <laughs> yeah, goes back right. to the House of Mouse, honey.
3: Yes, House, not House of Mouse. Um, I was going to remark on an often heard complaint on this podcast: Can we talk about the blink and you missed it gay kiss in this movie that I didn't even see? Uh, oh, I saw it. It was, but it was, it was just like a it. head kiss. A head, a forehead kiss? Yeah. I'm so sorry. Lesbians really be
4: kissing foreheads.
3: And also, like, for this movie, what a waste of Michaela Cole. Like, we could have had Michaela scenes instead of, like, these Martin Friedman scenes. And, like, I was just like, where was Michaela?
4: Yeah. But I, you know, I, I do think at least there was enough of the things that I liked in the movie to make up for there not being
3: enough of the things that I wanted more of. I'm excited for what's next, though I do, I will say, I did not think that Angela Bassett needed to die. That was my primary complaint and and that's just because selfishly I want to see her in every movie. And But she got so so much to do
4: before she died. Like I was so happy that we had so much time for her in this film. She got some action scenes she got a lot of great you know monologuing and people are are like she's gonna get an oscar nomination which is like girl that's not happening but i
3: mean but not to be a bitch though but like there are so many other characters to kill that aren't angela bassett but they wouldn't
4: but it wouldn't have been narratively satisfying you have to think about the story you're telling
3: I disagree. I think, like, Okoye, if they had killed Okoye, there there are a few people where I was like...
4: No, no, no. Shuri had to be at her lowest. She had to be fat, nasty, and broke. She had to come (laughs) on this bitch mad as hell.
3: I loved the lesson at the end. I wish that we could have seen Shuri be a little evil. Like, obviously, she was really dark the whole film. I wanted her to make a crucially dark mistake Mm. in killing someone. I guess, like, was Namor's, like, little... Was Nemora's it more like, like kind know, of her fault? Was it, but it was, it was his more it,
4: it was more Lupita's fault because she yeah. came to rescue Shuri. I yeah, would have liked to see just more of Shuri as the Black Panther because it's like yeah, she agree. she was doing lines of the heart shaped herb or you know whatever <laughs> the fuck. Um, she microdosed and then she like immediately not only has the powers but kind of the skill to use them and like I get that this movie couldn't be. another origin story but Hmm. I, I just would have liked more time with her being super powered and not kind of all of her like stepping into that mantle happening very quickly or kind of off screen but the fight sequences and like action were fun and like didn't get in the way
3: of still telling a very emotional story yeah I totally agree Speaking of emotional stories, did you try to get (laughs) Taylor Swift tickets this weekend?
4: Um, I did not try to get Taylor Swift tickets um, because I just, well, you know, like I don't super care about seeing live music. And Mm, I also just like didn't want to deal with what I knew was going to be the nightmare of, um, you know, getting tickets for that show never could I even have imagined
3: the true nightmare it would become though oh my god I mean the versions can read up on like all the drama that went down about how like people basically like couldn't get tickets and Ticketmaster had to cancel its actual on-sale date because of lack of quantity but like I I wanted to bring it up because we have a lot of Swifties on the pot, on like on the pod who are listening and I feel like Pressure needs to be applied because Taylor Swift's statement on this was so nothing. It was so Absolutely. Useless. nothing. She put nothing. all
4: the blame on Ticketmaster and was like, Yes. Oh my God, it sucks that you couldn't get tickets for
3: the concert. Yeah, and like obviously she can do her part and like add shows, but like it's not even like it's not even like I want her to take blame. It's that she is the most powerful artist on the planet so to some degree. When Taylor Swift expressed her very first political opinion about that fucking, you know, governor in Tennessee, or I don't even remember, whatever the fuck. Representative. Yeah, representative, thank you. More people registered to vote in a single day than in any other day in the history of this country. Like, that is obscene. She can move bodies to create actual, tangible change in a way that could fundamentally change things for all of these other artists in the industry. And it makes me angry that her kind of very tepid response to Ticketmaster was ultimately a display of her allegiance to capital and her relationship with Ticketmaster. If she was on her shit, she would say, hey, this is fucked. Ticketmaster and Live Nation never should have merged. This is an illegal monopoly that has now created problems for artists, independent artists across the board and now my fans. So this is personal to me, break Ticketmaster up and change this fucking shit. Like Taylor is, if any artist could do that and actually have an impact, it would be Taylor. Well, now
4: the justice department is investigating Ticketmaster and yes, of course we wish that Taylor would have gotten involved herself, but like, I just am not going to expect that of celebrities who want to make as much money as possible. And, like, Mm -hmm. there are no perfect celebrities. Like, I certainly don't think Taylor is a perfect celebrity, and nor do I expect her to be one. I -hmm. kind of, like, like her music and keep it pushing from there. But Swifties are powerful, and because of them, this, this could... Change And I, I, I saw something that was like, um, Swifties, can you tackle racism and abortion next?
3: <laughs> no, actually, Swifties are smart and are great organizers. And like, come on, let's fucking change something. Um, I heard that you finally uh dove into Miss Imelda Staunton.
4: Yeah, I started season five of The Crown. Um I'm only an episode in, um... But I am seeing kind of right off the bat a lot of what I've seen people talking about, about how it's gotten very soapy in a way that it never was before. Um, But I have to say, I do want Elizabeth DeBecky to step on me. Mm. Mel Desantins is... Incredible, as always. I was so happy to see... What's her face? Uh, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris as Princess oh, Margaret. Um, that's
3: Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris? Yeah, what's... Fuck, oh what's, my god. Wait,
4: what's her name? Oh, Leslie Manfeld as Princess Margaret, who... Oh, I just... You know, I loved that the season started with, you know, Claire Foy coming back to do to do young Queen Elizabeth, as she always does. But it just made me remember how incredible those first seasons of The Crown were. And listen, I love The Crown. I will keep watching it until it ends. But those first seasons, you know, Claire Foy put her whole pussy into that role. <laughs> Vanessa Vanessa Kirby as Princess Margaret was so incredible. I I mm. love Vanessa Kirby. I wish she wasn't just relegated to like those weird like Fast and the Furious spin-off movies. Although I
3: am always happy to see her in the Mission Impossible movies. I didn't even know she was in either of those, but I didn't really know who she was. Um, But, like, she's so good in the series. Yeah, she's...
4: That's my... I mean, of of course, I also love Helena Bonham Carter. Um, But that's my Princess Margaret. Um, Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm enjoying it. And it, it just... I, like, held off on it for so long because I was like, oh, I'm not in the right headspace. Like, it's so serious. It's so dramatic. And then as soon as I started watching it, I was like, I want to sit here for the next 10 hours and, d- <laughs> yeah. and just watch this show.
3: Yeah. I do wish, like, it's this, this um, season in particular is, like, not as, like, fun, like, for lack of a better word right now, um, as, like, previous seasons. Like, there's less, like, kind of... Sometimes, like I enjoy the hijinks of the royal family, and this one deals with a lot of like heavy subject matter. But yeah, I mean Elizabeth Debicki is like eyeliner alone, like. They knew what they were doing with that eyeliner. Like,
4: come on. I'm. I'm also so happy that they. I mean, Netflix even tweeted something about this that the the Crown let Elizabeth to be tall. And I do appreciate. <laughs> I do appreciate that they don't it's have funny. everyone around her like standing on you know like blocks and like with lifts in their shoes, and that she just is taller than everyone.
3: If if they had CGI'd everyone taller, like um, it, like, like Tom the Lord Cruise, of the Rings show, <laughs> oh, yeah. like no, like Gandalf and the Hobbits, yeah. like style. <laughs> oh my God, Elizabeth. I'm, Debecki Lo- should play Gandalf. What if they what if they actually like reconstructed the entirety of the crown set to appear physically bigger so that Elizabeth <laughs> would appear yeah. physically smaller? I, I love that. Um, so Elizabeth Tobecki so should
4: be in season two of Rings of Power
3: um, if that happens. Don't even with me. That, like, literally anyone, like, that I recognize in Rings of Power would be great. But Elizabeth Debecky in Rings of Power, damn. Elizabeth Debecky um, should be in
4: House of the Dragon. She should be a Targaryen.
3: Yeah, she, that's actually much more worthy for, for for her chops.
4: I still have not finished Rings of Power. I don't know if I ever will.
3: Uh, you know what? Actually, like, holidays are a perfect time to finish it. Like, no, your but mind's holidays, be off.
4: holidays are when I'm going to do my annual... Lord of the Rings <laughs> rewatch, and, yes, kinda, and re-watch. honestly, kind of the last thing I'm gonna want to do after that is watch Rings, Water. Of, watch Rings of Power. That's
3: kind. That's kind of tea. You could like put it on background while you're like you know making a pie or something.
4: I don't make pies. I eat them. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I was. <laughs>
4: So, The Chronicles of Narnia is a fantasy series written by C.S. Lewis. Heard of it? Heard of it.
3: Yes, it was one of the few things I was allowed to consume growing up. What about Because you? it's super Christian. Because it's extremely, extremely Christian. I would I would wager to say that it is uncreatively Christian. Like, C.S. Lewis was lifting plot points from the Bible
4: and just putting them on the page. Yeah, he plagiarized the Bi- God. <laughs> God!
3: God herself!
4: Um. Yes, I also read the books as a kid. I think, though, that my intro to... The World of Narnia was specifically the 1979 animated movie. Mm, Might as well. I think I've talked about this before, that when I was a kid growing up, my dad was a librarian at a middle school. Mm. And I, I definitely remember him bringing home the VHS of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the animated movie, so I could watch it. And I think I like stole it, so he never brought it back. Love. Wow. Wow. Wait. Don't you? you ever get? You never got fined for that. No, he was the librarian. What was he gonna do? (laughs) Arrest me? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. I got away with it. Um, that movie is
3: stunning. It's stunning. The animation
4: is so beautiful. The White Witch in that movie (gasps) is
3: so fierce the diva the diva doll herself oh god her she has like this beautiful fur coat and like a skull cap kind of vibe yes with a crown on top of the skull cap yes iconic She and has a huge she, knife yeah and very like grinch like fluctuant facial expressions like sometimes she's soft and supple and queen like and other times she looks like a demon well like. i think also part of that is that the animation is not great well it's not great because it's from 1979 but it's actually really beautiful in how old it is I feel. There was some
4: very good animation made long before 1979. Have you ever heard of Walt Disney oh, Studios? Oh, no, I am
3: <laughs> realizing that you're talking about the um the the kind of frames per, the 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 pick images per frame. Yeah, it's a yes, little it's it's choppy. A, yes,
4: it's it's very it is choppy. choppy.
3: Yes, but it's beautiful. It, is, it beautiful. is beautiful
4: and I love that version of it. And yeah. so from there i went and read the the book series um the chronicles mm. of narnia so for for virgins out there the lion the witch and the wardrobe is technically the second book in the series the chronicles of narnia the only book
3: most people recognize but it was
4: the it was the first one that was released and that in 1950 by cs lewis and then he went back and wrote The first book, The Magician's Nephew, and then all of the sequels that come after The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There
3: are seven Seven.
4: books in total.
3: Yeah. Um, Have you read all of them? No, I have read, I think, three of them and retained None of them, I feel. Like I, I definitely okay. i might have reread Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe because um as a kid we used to listen to like the audiobook and stuff. Like the audiobooks
4: of them are so good. Yeah.
3: But like we because my family like this is the this is the kind of fantasy or and or mainstream culture that we could like, indulge in because it was so Christian, like, so, so Christian. Which
4: I did not get at first. I thought right. it was just fantastical. And that's why it's a great gateway drug to Christianity, I suppose. It really, <laughs> it
3: really is. And I, let me tell you, had the reverse experience, of course. Like, for me, Narnia, or rather, yeah, actually, Narnia. And Christianity were inextricable. There was no way I could consume *Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe* without thinking about God. Wow, I
4: didn't get any of the Jesus stuff, even though yeah. it's so obvious. Yes, and okay. when you go back and look at it all, I mean, you know, um, so my, so I did read all the books at one point. The only ones that have really stuck with me are obviously *The Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe*, because. It is the best. Mm. I also love The Magician's Nephew because it gives you the origin story of both Narnia and of the White Witch. Yeah, Jadis. Do you
3: remember any of it? Like, I, I unfortunately don't remember yeah. any of the plot.
4: So, like... so the the plot of The Magician's Nephew is there's this boy whose uncle is a magician. It's called <sighs> The Magician's Nephew, uh-huh. and um, with he <laughs> he and his friend Poppy, I believe, find their way into this place called the wood between the worlds which is the way you get into all these different universes mm. and they um find their way into this world called Charn mm. which is the home world of Jadis who mm. becomes the white witch mm. and the story with her is that she and her sister were in this like fierce battle for the crown mm. um but they uh they said they were not going to use magic to to get the crown But then Jadis' sister did, and they were like, they were kind of like about to destroy each other. And Jadis had this, um, like, little secret gag up her sleeve, which was called the Deplorable Word. Mm. And what the Deplorable Word would do already sounds Christian, continue. It would destroy Everyone in the entire world except her. Oh my God. And so at the last moment she used it, everyone in the world (sighs) is destroyed. So by default, she becomes queen, but she's like queen of nothing. Uh So what she decides to do is use magic to preserve herself until someone comes along and rings a bell and unleashes her. And so obviously the first thing these kids do when they go to her world is ring a bell. (sighs) And she comes back to life and then she kind of... Um, hitches a ride with them back to the the uh, Wood Between the Worlds where, like, her powers don't really work there and she gets kind of sick. And then they take her to Earth. She kind of tries to take over Earth.
3: Oh, my God. But it
4: doesn't really work out. And then finally, they're able to get her back into the Wood Between the Worlds. Before that, she, like, breaks off a lamppost in London and then she takes that lamppost. They all make their way into Narnia as Narnia is being created by Aslan, and the witch tries to throw the lamppost at Aslan and it plants in the ground
3: and grows into the lamppost from the line The Witch and the Wardrobe. Oh my God. I mean, he that I, that's such a gag. Now, that that makes me actually want to revisit the first one.
4: It's so good. And and that's, you know, so that that quote that um <laughs> That is a meme, like, do not cite the deep magic to me, which I was there when it was written, is referencing the fact that both the White Witch and Aslan were there when Narnia was created. And so that's why they both know, like, the rules of the universe. And also that's where you see even more of the the, the biblical stuff coming in because Jadis eats an apple from a tree that gives her everlasting life. Of course, of course. She she tries to talk... The the titular um, magician's nephew into eating the apple, but he doesn't do it. And that the magician's nephew is the boy who grows up to be the old man who owns the house with the wardrobe in it. Oh. It's all connected.
3: Oh, now I understand. Okay, I'm actually so delighted that you summarized that for me because I truly retained nothing. And also, I'm such a nerd yeah, that you I know re- all of that. You really are, I'm not going to lie. But it's also impressive that you're able to retain so much about, like, huge worlds that were written eons ago, but nothing about, like, what we recorded one hour ago. Well, one thing is important and one thing is... That- <laughs> Um, I, a lot that was in conversation around C.S. Lewis um, when we were reading the books as kids or, like, when I was consuming the shit was, like, the relationship between him and Tolkien, which I feel like we talked about a little Do you little think bit. they were fucking and sucking? No, I think, well, I mean. They were. Obviously because. I'm going to go on AO3 and see if there's <laughs> any fan fiction about them. Obviously because this is, like, a virgin, of course we think that they're sucking and fucking. But if in, in my heart of hearts, I actually think they were so so repressed and i feel like the vibe between them i've read a lot about their relationship and the vibe kind of was like c.s lewis like takes a lot of credit for helping like be the what they call the midwife for tolkien's worlds like they say that like tolkien never would have finished his work if like c.s lewis didn't bring him home or like encourage him all along the way but i was also like girl your work suffered because of it because like no offense, like love Chronicles of Narnia, but like the chronicles of Narnia compared to Tolkien Rose, like nothing like c s Lewis is out here being like this line well, talks, and like this line is also Jesus Christ, you but, get it, and Tolkien is like, how many languages have you written yeah, bro? but
4: but one is for children,
3: and one is not okay, I mean. There's violence in these books too. It's like some of the, the you know, it's not 100% for children.
4: 100% no, of the time, but but, but they these are but they are books, children's sure. stories and um, although, you know, uh, Tolkien also wrote The Hobbit as a book for children, but then as his children grew up, you know, he wanted to advance the idea of the quote-unquote fairy story into something that could be consumed by adults right. because that wasn't really something that existed at that time. Right. Um and, you know, they, they are so obviously contemporaries, and, you know, their works, I think when we think about the legacy of fantasy, are the ones that are the most in conversation with each other. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and they were and, literally...
4: And they definitely... Sucked each other off.
3: Yeah, I mean, they were working on these, like, literal fan fictions. Like, working on their own little fan fictions, like, in, like, a fucking gay bar together. I mean, it wasn't a gay bar. But it was called The Eagle and the Child, which is a very, like, it's gay. Ugh. I didn't get too deep into this, but apparently they had a falling out. <laughs> they were, because they broke up. Yes, they had a pre- I
4: think that they broke
3: They had a, apparently- You
4: heard it here <laughs> first. J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were boyfriends. Had a breakup. Yes. And the rest is her story. But
3: according to Tolkien, like, their relationship only lasted, I think, like, 12 years or so. And then after that, they had a very fierce, like, Falling out, I think, because... A breakup. C.S. Lewis apparently took a job at... Okay, wait, wait. Took a lover. Yes. Lewis left Oxford and took a job as the chair of medieval and renaissance literature. Nerd. At Cambridge. Mm. And I think that they personally... So they had um, fundamental, like, differing beliefs about, like, what should be taught in the canon. And I believe Lewis was the one that's like, we should be teaching things that are, like, a little more not contemporary because they didn't neither of them believed in contemporary literature but i think that like tolkien was like nothing uh, outside of the canterbury tales is like relevant like it it is only middle english kind of spelled no middle english is so fucking boring and not relevant at all to like, today's society and i actually think it should be extra like completely expunged from literary canons of today i think that we as a society should decimate anything in middle english and it's not relevant
4: Where is the sad gay period drama about (laughs) Tolkien and Lewis's love affair? It's probably on AO3. (laughs) I'm going to
3: write it, and it will be made into a My Policeman style (laughs) film. Yeah, I wonder— Or maybe
4: like a BBC miniseries. Okay,
3: so if you think they broke up, what is the true story of their breakup? If this is the Wikipedia version, what's the true story?
4: Um, Okay. That
3: they were both tops? No. No, they were both bottoms.
4: No, I don't believe in those (laughs) binaries. (laughs) I think that Tolkien was into some, like, real gross orc shit. Mm, And Lewis was very kind of pure.
3: Yeah, like, wanted to commit to the bit, but couldn't really, you know. Also,
4: Tolkien had children, so maybe he wanted, he wanted, you know, he wanted to live in the 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 straight world. And C.S. Lewis was just his and childless C. fag friend, and C.S. Lewis, you know, I don't know. Actually, if C.S. Lewis had children. I would imagine he did. It seems like he would. <laughs> um, it seems like a thing he would do. I'm just gonna say they they just had some like drama queen breakup. They loved each other, but it didn't work out. And who knows? Maybe if it weren't for you know the society that you know, wouldn't let them be together, maybe they would have.
3: Yeah. Or maybe they were just petty and jealous of each other's work, which is, like, what I think happened. I think they were both jealous of each other's work. Because, like, if Tolkien credited Lewis to helping him create this, like, big thing, like, would that not create a strain on their relationship? Like, if someone was helping you through years and years and years, like, birth this, like, massive franchise-level epic... Sure, of course they would grow to hate each other.
4: But you know what? At the end of the day, they were both um, white men who are dead and Mm, bald and and bald, (laughs) wig snatched. And let's talk about let's talk about the divas they created. Yeah, yeah. Um, So we talked a little bit about the White Witch. Okay, there's also Aslan, who is you know the Jesus figure. Talk
3: about a stunt queen.
4: I definitely wanted to fuck Aslan. Oh yeah, in pretty much every version
3: of the line, the witch in the wardrobe, that's been made. Aslan's objectively hot, but like played by Liam Neeson, a little on the nose. Like they knew how hot Aslan was, and Aslan like, is giving Mufasa. Him, yeah, the sec, Yes, that's what's Let's happening.
4: let's see if there's Aslan Mufasa porn. <laughs> oh,
3: no game yep. xxx yep what is it oh what, yeah what are, it ex-
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh no. oh my
4: god oh my god to oh me. my <laughs> god oh <laughs> my god i've gone i've gone too
3: far if too. you are scandalized then i feel anyway, like okay that is uh that's As- saying something
4: aslan's very hot also okay so let's talk about the movie Mm. franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe film series, the Saga, the Franchise, came out in two thousand and five. I think that's probably how most people of our generation and younger were introduced to it. Mm. This was sort of like post Harry Potter, post Lord of the Rings. I think studios are realizing that there was a thirst for, you know, fantasy IP. Right. And um, I I love the 2005 film. I think it's so good. It gave the world several people. It gave us James McAvoy. This was his breakout. What?
3: Yeah.
1: This was his breakout?
3: Yeah, girl. What else did you think it was? I'm freaking out. I thought he was an established actor by this no, time.
4: No, this was his big break. That's crazy. It, it was also Tilda Swinton's
3: big break. That's also crazy. I did not know that either. That's yeah. crazy to me. Wow. And Tilda they were both Swinton, so good. Tilda Swinton where, with dreadlocks. I which mean, is, but mm. he, okay, but can we also, can we just talk about the production design in general? I rewatched this movie for the record, so it's fresh on my mind. Stunning. It's like a be- beautiful, beautiful I re- film. I remembered it being kind of generic. And when I watched mm. it, I was like, every single frame is actually, like, better than most of what I watched in Rings of Power. Uh, oh, my God. The moment where Lucy pulls the sheet off the wardrobe. Uh, I, like, uh, I have goosebumps. Uh, Chills. Uh, I mean, honestly, everything the queen wears is so stunning aside from the dreads. But, like, the fact that her icicle crown gets slowly smaller as the world melts. Well, I do
4: kind of get... The fur gag, like... I do get sad when the winter goes away because I think that's the cuntiest part of the movie. It's
3: really cunty. And it's also what you remember when you think of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yes. Which is why it's canonically... A a Christmas
4: film. It is. Well, I mean, Santa Santa is literally a character in the movie. Which is
3: so, once again, loser behavior from C.S. Lewis, I I think. (laughs) Like, writing Santa into your story, bro, and Tolkien is over here creating, like, worlds of, like, orcs and elves in all their languages. Like, you wrote Santa. But I do also think that Santa in the movie is hot. Of course you do. He's a daddy. I was waiting for you to say it. He's Um, a daddy.
6: Yeah. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought
3: watching a lot of like fantasy stuff that we watch today when it whether it's like Marvel or like any sort of like you know original when they make a live action Snow White movie or all these other things they're trying to like make from original IP it's like It feels regurgitated a lot of the time, or it feels like a rush job. And there's something about this that just feels so – it felt so fresh. And I think that it's – Well, it's also all practical.
4: Like, now we live in the era of everything is CGI, and this is – It's even if it's all on sound stages, which I'm sure it all Mm. is, like – Outside of Aslan and some of the and the other like talking animal characters, this is a world that feels tangible.
3: Well, actually, the war is all CGI. In in, in at the end of the line, the witch in the wardrobe. And I actually, but I actually think it's kind of fine because they gave us everything else. You know mm. what I mean? Like, and I think a lot of that, you know, a lot of like what I. I just honestly was watching this, and I was like, if you told... I mean, the CGI is, like, a little... But, like, if you had told me it came out two years ago, I would believe you. Like, that's how stunning it was.
4: That moment when all the Pevensies walk through the wardrobe for the first Uh, time into Narnia, into the snow, like, that captures something about childhood Mm -hmm. and the ability for regular things to become extraordinary, like, in a
3: way that is so profound. And you could tell that the person, I don't even know who made this movie, but, like, you could tell that there was a love for the story. And I also felt like whoever made this movie had a love for the animated movie. There's a lot of things that imagistically replicate what the 1979, just little hints here and there, like what the 1979 movie did. And I loved that because it was still reinterpreted, right? Yeah.
4: Well, probably all the different adaptations are somewhat in conversation with each other. Yeah. Have you ever seen the BBC miniseries? No. From, it's from the late 80s. Does
3: it do all of the books?
4: Yeah, all of them. Did you? Yeah, I watched them I I definitely watched The Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe more than any of the other ones, mm. but I I have seen all of them. They're not my favorites. Mm. So of the film adaptations that started in 2005, there were two sequels, Prince Caspian and The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Um, which were flops, I feel. Which were kind of flops, although they did introduce Ben Barnes to the world. That I don't was even know his He was in that Netflix show, Shadow and Bone. He has been in a lot of stuff. He's like a hunky British guy. He also is a very popular fan cast for a young, serious black. Oh! And I think he's super sexy. Um, There were plans for a fourth movie, The Silver Chair, which is... I think one of the better books, and it also, well, something the movies did was Tilda Swinton appeared in all of the sequels, even though, right? A, she's even not. though after the White Witch is killed, like they make allusions to her, and um, they knew how much she carried. Well, in the either first one. even in, I don't remember if it's in Prince Caspian or Voyage of the Dawn Treader, but in one of them, they attempt to resurrect her, mm. and so she comes back, and. That is in the book, but it's, like, they talk about it. They don't actually do it. But, like, if you got Tilda,
3: you're going to use Tilda. Yeah, which is kind of, like... I mean, I'm sure they just wanted to, like, get these kids in movies as fast as they could before they, like, went fully through puberty, even though they kind of did. But, like, they really should have just gone straight to Magician's Nephew. Because that, to me, is I the would have a loved, second best story. I, I know. I, I, I wish there was a
4: Magician's Nephew movie so badly. We should do it. We should so, do it. So um, it was announced a couple years ago that Netflix had bought the rights to um, – narnia and they were going to make either a series or films i would love a series it's still in development there hasn't been really any news on it i think maybe like covid slowed down the plans Mm. but hopefully it happens
3: one day
1: i I would i would love
3: to see it i wonder how narnia i mean like 2005 wasn't that long ago but culturally, it's kind of eons ago, and I wonder how receptive the world might be now to something that is so explicitly Christian. Like, well, it's it's so pure, and yeah, and, it's so pure.
4: And I the the thing about all fantasy media now yeah. is that it has to have a level of meta ness to it. Mm-hmm. It has to be commenting on what fantasy is mm-hmm. in the modern era, and mm-hmm. that's why you know. We have something like The Magicians, which is a book series by Lev Grossman that was turned into a TV series on sci-fi that is very – and and I'm not using this word negatively – derivative mm-hmm. of Chronicles of Narnia because it's a book that sort of remixes Narnia and Harry Potter in this way. Yeah, it's a little Harry Potter too. So um, if you have never read the books or watched the TV show, it's about – Um, This guy, Quentin, who's like very depressed and gets into a magical college in the books and then grad school in the TV show. And he also had a childhood obsession with a series of novels that are a stand-in for Narnia. But the world is called Fillory in Mm. The Magicians. Mm -hmm. And after he goes to magic school, he discovers that Fillory is actually a real place. And he and his friends go there. And it's so meta, like, to a crazy extent. <laughs> and it's basically, like, the whole idea of the series is what if you were, like, super obsessed with fantasy and that thing that people are obsessed with fantasy, that that idea you have that, like, oh, one day I'll, like, walk into a wardrobe and it will take me into Narnia. Like, what if that actually happened mm. and would that actually make you any happier than you were before or would yeah. you still just like be depressed but you would be in a magical world
3: those are the themes that i like want to see if it, if like it's ever made into if like is ever made into a series right it feels like the magicians was kind of like the the um adultification of some of these like tropes and themes because i think you know The stories are actually, like, they have violence in them, like, or at least the ones that I read, like, had violence in them or, like, adult themes or whatever, Um, but there's room for it to go all the way if it wanted to, but it, you know, I'm sure they would never because they would... If if Netflix or whoever ever made this again, they'd probably want to prioritize like a family Christmas movie. Well, you know? also
4: I'm sure that whoever controls the rights to the books, like I'm sure there's like a C.S. Lewis oh, Foundation yeah. morality they, clause. They, they probably have very strict guidelines in place about how yeah. these novels
3: can be adapted. Wait, we should talk about that because I feel like the 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 morality. This is something that we spoke about when we were talking through our like Rings of Power recaps. That you know the morality and the kind of good versus bad thing that exists in Lord of the Rings is like cranked up to the nth degree in the world of Narnia, like in almost all of like conflict to a to a problematic
4: level. Mm. Like something um, I have oh that some people talk about is Susan who's one of the Pevensie children. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there's a short story that Neil Gaiman wrote called The Problem of Susan because so the ending of the books is really fucked up. I don't know if you if you I know how the books remember. end. So In the last book, you find out that all the Pevensey children died in a train accident. And they all go to basically, like, heaven in Narnia. Hmm. And it's supposed to be, like, a good thing that they're all dead, but they're together in heaven. Except Susan doesn't get to go. (gasps) And the reasoning that Aslan gives them is because... She had become obsessed with, like, makeup and boys and stuff and uh, had become, like, super jaded. And so she didn't get to go to heaven with her dead family. Uh, and Oh, um, my
3: God. Now I need to read.
4: You have to. So this in this short story, it's about a student who's interviewing a professor of, like, children's literature and... The professor actually is Susan, all grown up. <gasps> and there's, like, some really great scenes of, um, you know, there's, like, this part where she talks about Aslan fucking the White Witch. And no! it's, it's just, like, it's super fucked up. And Wait, that it, sounds so bad. It, it's, it's just, like, really great commentary on, you know, the, like, very kind of fucked up morality of C.S. Lewis and mm. and the way that... He did not treat especially the female characters well. You know, they were either very pure children or evil witches. And there kind of was no in-between for women. Kind of the same way that for Tolkien, you know, it was either like Galadriel
3: or nothing. And it must be said that they had this, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien had, like, a writing group called, like, the Inklings or something faggy like that, and they would not allow women in this writer's Yeah, of because
4: they were all fucking and Yeah, I mean,
3: it was also, like, I think that, like, Oxford didn't, like, allow like, a woman to, like, study there until like, 1920 or something like that, but like, it's still, it's just, like, it's stupid. It's so clear what their worlds were. I'm actually shook that there are even, like, women characters in, like, Narnia. But, like, let's, I want to talk About the morality, like a little bit more, because Aslan, as Jesus, is so ham fisted. And I think it's really interesting that Aslan is kind of like one of those characters, one of those like all seeing, all powerful characters that has tons of information that would be helpful to the rest of the characters, but withholds it for no reason, like a Dumbledore or a Gandalf or a, you know. But, like, no one – it's never explained why Aslan disappeared for ages and let, like, Narnia become always winter, never Christmas. You know what I mean? I'm sure that's explained, like, in the actual mythology of it. But, like, it's so funny. It's, like – and also, um like, when Aslan sacrifices – well, when he's crucified – like, literally crucified like Jesus, like, he never explains to anyone why it's happening. I mean, he, well, he doesn't explain it Only after it's happening. No, yeah. he explains it all after. It's like, at any point, he could tell anybody in this story, like, hey, don't worry, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back in, like, 24 hours. Like, it's chill. But, like, the crucifixion scene, like, we have to say it, like, crucifixion's hot. Well, he doesn't get crucified. He gets stabbed on, he the, get, on the stone table. Yes, but he's crucified. He's he's crucified. Period. Like that's crucifixion. Crucifixion is like a a communal killing of someone on the basis of like sin pen- penance. Oh, does it not
4: have to actually be on a cross?
3: Um, no, I mean, like, it's cruci- – I, I mean, it is, yeah, on a cross, but it is a crucifix – like, it's a crucifixion. Like, it's it's literally nothing else. Like It's a ritual sacrifice. Yes, and but instead of a cross, it's a stone table, which is, again, another ham-fisted metaphor for, like, whatever the, the cross was. But, like, it's – I love that they shaved him. They shaved <laughs> Aslan. Mm. Again. They gave him a makeover I before they I, killed him. Yeah. And then in
4: the movie – um, the white witch like wears his fur as part of her look when she charges oh. when she charges into battle at the end, which I is about so that. petty it's, and also fierce.
3: It's a serve. It's she a was serve like, and hey,
4: you goblin over here, take this hair and make me something to wear tomorrow.
3: Yeah. Oh my god, that's such I didn't even realize that when it happened on screen. Okay. It was such a serve.
4: Did you know that not only are there film adaptations and TV adaptations, <laughs> There's also a musical adaptation of *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. Ooh, and it's bad. Do you want to know who who might have appeared in a production of <gasps> *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe* the musical oh, when nice. they were in middle school? Medical school, when, medical school <laughs> when they were in middle school. Oh my god, you? Yes. Do you want to know what role I played?
3: Have I heard this before?
4: Were you the narrator? No, that I was. was for... I was the professor. who owns
3: the house. No, that's a shit roll. But it is a
4: shit roll. And you know what made it worse is that the professed, so the way that the show is written is that the Professor and Aslan are supposed to be played by the same actor, but they only cast me as the Professor That's and not so as shady.
5: Aslan.
3: shady!
1: Boots.
4: But I have this song, I think it's maybe like the second song in the show, and it's called Doors and Windows. Oh my god. And I do still remember it. No!
3: It was singing out.
4: Doors and windows, open and close. To hide or expose
3: wonders waiting for you. uh, That's just a little tease. uh, Intrigue. Uh, um, Was it good? Was the musical good? No.
4: (laughs) No, it wasn't.
6: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
3: Edmund is such a little shit. Like... I mean, but, just the name Edmund. Yeah. I like mean, but um, yet another... Nerd. Much like Susan, yet another kid that is, like, l- literally a child. Literally a child making a child's mistake. And, like... Yeah, but he, like, sells his whole family out. N- little Judas. Yes, he is a, He is definitely the Judas archetype. For candy. Oh, For candy. Have you ever had Turkish delight? Yes, absolutely. It's not that good. No, no, no. When it's good, it's good, Diva. It's like... <laughs> It's like (laughs)
4: gelatin
3: covered in powdered sugar. Honey. That's literally all Turkish Delight is. Honey, yes, that's true. But the thing is, it's about the flavoring. It's about the consistency. It's about how much gelatin you use, right? Because if you use too much gelatin, it gets really chewy, really gummy, really nasty. But if you do it really light, it's soft. It melts in your mouth. If you're using, like, the right ingredients and the right execution, let me tell you, we need to go get some good Turkish Delight I do remember that when we did that production of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe— At rehearsal one
4: day, Mm -hmm. someone's mom brought us Turkish delight to eat. And we were all expecting some kind of like... We were expecting to have our minds (laughs) blown. We were expecting to have our pussies (laughs) rocked. And it tastes like ass. (laughs) And then someone opens this tin of like powdered
3: gelatin. And we're like, the fuck? It's an extremely british delicacy like brits love like the taste of like some sort of like gummy thing that is flavored like perfume like rose turkish delight is disgusting like that sounds kind of good actually ew i hate the taste of rose especially in gelatin but turkish delight comes in so many different flavors i don't fuck with turkish delight that has nuts in it or like pistachios that's not like i don't like nuts and gelatin combined but um In the borough market in London town, ever heard of it? They, you know, there are, I don't know if it's like this anymore, but when I, you know, was there, there were, like, huge, like, lanes and swaths that were just Turkish delight. Like, so many varietals. Turkish delight. I do love the way that she takes out her little
4: potion and drops it onto the snow, and then the Turkish delight just appears.
3: Stunning. Stunning. Tilda. Stunning. Stunning. This is Tilda's best work. No, that's not true. Uh, no. <laughs> this is a role that so actually but, I was about to say this is a role that only Tilda could do, but it's actually not true. A lot of actresses No, I actually think it's specific to Tilda. No, I don't think that's... I don't think that Who she Who would you cast instead? Literally any fierce white woman <laughs> to play the white witch. No, but I
4: think Tilda has
3: this like, like alien sure.
4: this alien quality to her, mm-hmm. but also a lot of those women have played Witches who are kind of derivative of the mm-hmm. white witch, like Charlize Theron in Snow White and
3: the Huntsman, like or, and, Ju-
4: Julianne Moore. There was some like weird fantasy movie that she played a witch in, yeah, uh, in like,
3: Snow White as well. Another Snow White movie, uh, um, Angelina Jolie as Maleficent, like. But t- t- Tilda's of-
4: so good as a witch. I mean, if you uh, you know that Suspiria
3: 2018 is one of my favorite films, and she plays a witch in that. I just think wa- uh, when I rewatched it. She's fierce. She's amazing. She's sublime. She does have that alien quality. But at the end of the day, I think it's a role that's easy to make fierce. Like, I, I, you know, like, and the production design does so much, not to degrade her work, but it does so much work in addition to what she's doing. I don't know. I think she elevates
4: the movie. And, like, yes, I can. It is elevated. Yes, I true. can. I can look back and and say that some of that is my bias of just knowing who Tilda is, because I, you know, didn't, obviously, when I saw this for the first time. But I do think she has this quality to her where she can do so much with just one look. Um, There's this one moment where after she's been plotting with Edmund and she sends him on his way to go, like, lure his family back to Narnia, she does this thing where she looks at him, she goes, Oh, I'm gonna miss you so much, and it's just like <laughs> it's so good. I forgot. And about she has that. lots of little lines like that. Like, um, when she sends her wolf to go find the Pevensies, she goes, "You know what to do. You know what to do." It's yeah. um, she
3: eats She's every fierce. single second of that, and the film. fight scenes, Steva, she with her sword, ah, oh, double swords. It's so fucking fierce. On a sleigh being driven by polar bears? I don't know why I'm like shitting on Rings of Power so much, but literally like her with two swords is cooler than anything that happened the entirety of like Rings of Power. Yeah, you can't compete where you
4: can't compare.
3: Yeah, I'm sorry. Like I'm just, it made me, I was watching it and and I actually, I turned it on to be a background watch. Like I thought I was going to look at my phone or like clean the house or something. And I sat down. Because I was like, damn, I forgot how good this movie is.
4: You know who I would love to see as the White Witch if, um, the th- like, a new adaptation does end up happening? Yeah. I think Michelle Yeoh uh, as the White Witch would be uh, incredible. She... I want to see her play a villain. Uh, okay, something that's, like, not really talked about is the fact that
3: Mr. Tumnus is, like, pretty rapey. In that he is a full-grown satyr who has brought this child into his home multiple times, and then, like the lulls
4: her to sleep. Essentially, it's like a a magical date rape.
3: (sighs) But the only thing, so I guess what happens in that scene is uh, he kind of thinks he's going to give her over to the witch, and then has a kind of. Change of heart. Yes. And decides that He realizes he can't do it. He can't do it. He gets turned to stone. And that's why he gets turned to stone. Which, like, would you... The witch gagged the girls. Would you... (laughs) Would you have turned her in? Yeah, for sure. Because the White Witch is kind of like fear. Like, I would have been on her side. Totally. If... if, I would have been Team Aslan. I would have been her. I would have... Yeah. (laughs) I would have been Team Aslan. But if Aslan's been gone for years... That sucks. Like, for your leader to desert you, like, God. And he's God. God has deserted you and then comes back and is like, hey, I'm in charge again. By the way, Edmund, you are going to be crucified. JK, I'm going to crucify myself and take all the credit, like, all the glory for that.
4: For sure. And the witch's crew, I have to say, is so much cooler than than the good side. Like, you know, when when they sacrifice Aslan and they show up and all those, like, goblins and ghouls and stuff. Were like partying. And That's like the, I've been
3: to parties that looked yeah. pretty much exactly like that. Oh yeah, Vale of Kashmir. Yeah. That was Spectrum.
4: <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, it was giving Berlin. Yeah, yeah. Um and you know the like yeah I like the centaurs and stuff. Like they're kind of hot. Yeah. Would you fuck a centaur? Or get fucked
3: by a centaur. Well, if you're getting fucked by a centaur, that's like that's some permanent damage. <laughs> yeah, it's a that lot of dick. We talked about this in our porn episode, but like the idea of of wrecking my hole, as I I don't want to yuck anybody's yum. Not my tea. I don't want to permanently alter my hole, and I think that with a centaur, that is the case. Steve-o. Let me look up some centaur <laughs> porn. <laughs> well, have you ever watched that video of the, like the guy not, getting, getting fucked, fucked by the, the horse. horse
4: to death? To death. Oh, yeah, he died. He died. Oh, God. Oh, wow. Oh, my God, look at that.
3: I forgot that he died. That's so sad. He died following his (laughs) king.
4: He died doing what he loved (laughs) getting
3: fucked to death by a (laughs) horse. What a way to go. Let me answer your question, actually. Realistically, no. In my fantasy world, getting fucked by a centaur is extremely hot. Humanoids, very hot to me. Centaurs and and, and satyrs, extremely hot to me. Giant Mm. horse cock, yeah, kind of hot
4: to me. Which magical creature are you you most interested in having
3: sex with? I think it would be... Be a centaur, if not an elf, but I feel like that's kind of cheating. But yeah, I think it would kind of be a yeah, centaur. Because elves are kind of just humans. I think with there's something. Ears. I think there's something really erotic about horses. This is why I was obsessed with equus as a kid. Yeah, I actually, well, I'd be saying I'm a kid, horse. As, I'm a horse girl. Not as a kid, as a college student. But um, I did you know that I took this is actually a horsecock. <laughs> shut up. This is a gag. Actually, I don't know if I've ever told you this. When I was in college. I enrolled and took a full course on horses throughout literature and I wrote Oh my god my term yes and I wrote my term This paper. is a horse
4: girl podcast yes
3: and I wrote period. my paper on the kind of thematic um, importance of horses in the Lord of the Rings franchise and uh, followed like several Riders of Rohan yes and I followed a few different horses through the franchise about like and what their meanings were or whatever and my horse teacher thought it was so good that she submitted my essay for a contest that I won wow. an essay contest
4: Shadowfax King of the
3: Horses Oh my god, I have so <laughs> many... cock so many-
4: virgins, <laughs> this has just evolved into us looking oh god, at
3: Centaurborn. <laughs> oh my god.
4: I love oh god, that I we can that. find a way to turn children's fantasy literature into a conversation about fantasy horse cock. Slide into our DMs at Virgin 4 42069 Tell us, um, are you a lion, a witch, or a wardrobe? Which one do you identify as? I'm a wardrobe,
3: for sure.
4: I'm a witch. And a Phoebe is a lion.
3: Yeah, you are a lion.
4: Okay. And um, next week, we will be back with a discussion about everyone's favorite uh, lesbian Christmas film, Carol. Mm-hmm. Thank God, finally. Mm, it's it's, my. Ta- it's time to talk about The Girls. The most important Christmas movie ever made. Ever. So, uh, until then, you know, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it helps us out so much. I'm your co-host, Rose Damu. You can find me anywhere online at Rose Damu. And I'm Fran Torado. You can find me at Friends
3: Squishco, anywhere you like.
4: Subscribe to Like a Virgin anywhere you listen to podcasts. Leave us a rating on Spotify, or a review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it so much. Like a Virgin is an iHeartRadio production. Our producer is Phoebe Unter, with support from Lindsey Hoffman, Julian Weller, Jess Kranchich, and Nikki Etor. Until next week, goodbye
3: for now! Nay! Nee. This centaur's pussy looks like an egg bagel. (laughs)
5: Literally.
3: Oh,
4: my (laughs) I love the way she's holding her
3: (laughs) boob. Like, because it's so so heavy. It's so big. (laughs) So heavy that she has to... it's just a suspend. Yeah, I love it. This woman has to stand, she has to stand on a bucket to fuck the sender because the sender is so big.
6: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This